Okay, we are here on the first Sunday of Lent, moving back into John's Gospel. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 18. It'll also be on the screen. And we're going to read the first 11 verses. This needs to be in the middle. There we go. After Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words he had said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sunnybrook. I have one other announcement that I need to make. <laughs> Uh, but it's an important one. As you have probably noticed, uh, maybe you haven't, but hopefully you have, the color has changed. So we were kind of staying in uh, the, the white pattern for a while after, uh, um, kind of for the start of the year, and then now we are starting Lent, and so everything has turned to purple. Uh, we are, our, our tradition, in terms of our, our, our church heritage, usually doesn't celebrate what the church calendar refers to as the high holidays. Um, and as a staff, we have become increasingly convinced that there are certain times of year that kind of lend themselves to us, be, to us thinking and uh, our attention gravitating to the things of God um, more so than others. Um, so we're grateful for the opportunity that we have, whether that be Christmas and Advent or Easter and Lent. Those are kind of known as the two church holidays, the big holidays. Um, and what it does is it allows us to build a rhythm into the year where you and I are intentionally focusing our, our, our minds uh, on who God is and what God has done for us. Um, and so from now, from now, this Sunday, all the way up until Easter Sunday, we are going to be remembering what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. It's a little bit of the reason why we took a, 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 a stop in our study of John, was so that we would pick it up today in chapter 18, and then it would lead us. The, the final words um, uh, of John's gospel would actually lead us towards, um, towards Easter. So one of the things that we, two of the things, I guess, that we've done Three of the things that we've actually done uh, to help us in this journey is, number one, grateful for our family ministry 
team that has produced these, which will help you if you have a family that you want to know, how can I assist them thinking through what Lent is all about? Um, again, with the purpose of not celebrating Lent or uh, lamenting through Lent, but literally focusing on who Jesus Christ is. Um, last year, we had seven different things that we fasted from kind of progressively uh, through Lent. And this year, what we thought we would do was focus on some different aspects uh, that kind of draw our attention towards this season, beginning with scripture and then worship and then service and evangelism, prayer, giving, and then ending with fasting um, for those six weeks. So this week, we're going to be focusing on scripture. And so if you want to pick up one of these individually or as a family to just know some practical application things, they are available in the lobby. And then we also have produced these, um, which are our Lent devotionals. Um, I, when I made this announcement after first service, enough people went back and got them that were out. And so we're in the process of printing some more. Uh, but there is a devotion for each Sunday and then kind of a guide, a, a, a scripture reading guide through the rest of the week to, again, focus our attention on the Lent season. I um, want to encourage you to pick these up. So number one, number two, number three is we have uh, kind of selected a time and for the most part it's going to be Fridays at seven where this room is going to be devoted to reflecting on whatever the emphasis is for that week. So this week at 7 o'clock, we are going to be gathering together and just having the Word of God read over us. So it's a kind of an intentional reading type plan, but if you want to come and just sit and listen to Word of God, the Word of God, we're basically what we're going to do is listen to the Word of God as it kind of walks through the story of Scripture beginning in Genesis and then ending in Revelation um, with a number of different readers. It's going to be about 45 minutes. Um, and so we would like to encourage you to come out and to just sit quietly under the Word of God. And then um, next week, we're going to be doing something on worship, on service. We've got a whole week planned where we're going to be doing a number of different things, and then we'll have a special thing on prayer. So that's what's going to be happening on Friday nights at 7 o'clock here, ending with um, a Good Friday service on Good Friday. So that is our plan. But again, our goal is always um, to focus on who God is and what God has done for us in Jesus. I pray that you individually or as a family will take seriously this opportunity to, um, to reflect more, more intentionally on who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us and to not let the hurriedness um, kind of rob our attention. Um, if you have your Bibles, I need you to be in John's Gospel. That's where we are. John 18 is where we are picking it up. And essentially, as we pick this narrative up, as we pick up the story um, where we left off, Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room. He has been very clear about what is actually happening. And one of the things that's most interesting about John's gospel is he spends about half of it describing the final week of Jesus' life. So obviously, the time of Lent means a big deal to him. Jesus came into this world as a gift from God to accomplish God's purpose in the world. Jesus made it clear in terms of who he was and why he was here. And yet, people always misunderstood him. I would argue that until the end of his life, People who were following Jesus at varying levels, people who saw the, and witnessed the miraculous Jesus, the gifted teacher Jesus, they heard what Jesus said about himself and then still didn't understand it. 
You know, I, I don't understand the superheroes thing. When I made this reference in first service, I didn't even know the name of one of the superheroes, and I had a number of people, particularly one person, I won't say who it was, because it's Phil Wineland. And, um, <laughs> and a lot of you are going, oh no, I totally guessed that Phil would do it. Um, he, had to, he had to help me with this, because I could not remember, remember Wonder Woman's name. No, don't be shocked at this. You should be proud that I don't know what her name was. Um, Clark Kent I knew, but Wonder Woman I did not know. But these two superheroes, right, Wonder Woman and Superman, it always astounded me. Well, it kind of, it kind of looks like this. Hi, my name is Jim Johnson. I'm a pastor here at Sunnybrook. Do you have any idea who I am? <laughs> like, I just, I never got it, right? Literally, like Wonder Woman and Clark Kent. So don't, don't tell me, don't tell me. Diana Prince. Is her name Diane? Diane? Diana? Diana Prince. She was Princess Diana. She became Diana Prince. Diana Prince. That's Wonder Woman. Literally looked the same except for the bathing suit, right? <laughs> Superman literally looked the same except for the pajamas, and literally they had no idea. They're like, well, I mean, for some of us, they're going, I don't think this is real. And it wasn't the fact that he came from another planet or that this green hunk of rock would make him weak or that he could do all these amazing things. It was the fact that people couldn't figure out who he was. Like, That's not real. This is television, right? This is a, this is a movie. That's not real. Um, it astounds me. How do you not know? How do you not know? I'll be honest. I have a similar approach to the scriptures. I am absolutely, I don't understand how they didn't know. I believe they didn't know. But when Jesus says, and particularly in Mark's gospel, Jesus makes it so clear. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be tortured. They're going to spit on me and they're going to mock me and I'll be crucified and then I will rise on the third day. Right? And they go, I don't understand what he means. Like which part of that was confusing? Like somehow collectively, it was so far out of their um, expectations, I think, of the Messiah. Like, I can go back and I can give some reasons why they didn't understand, but literally, as I'm in the middle of reading it, it's a Clark Kent, Diana Prince scenario. How do you not see this? How do you not get this? And John's gospel, in some way, probably presents it best. I'm not going to run through the whole gospel, but in John chapter 1, um, after John makes this bold, John the, the writer he makes this bold statement that Jesus was with God from the very beginning. He was in the very nature of God. Nothing was made without him. Like, that's who Jesus is. He is, in fact, God. Our, our, the, the, the people in the audience, they may not know that, right? And so as he begins to tell the story in John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and here's what he says. Behold, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. And I mean, I get it. Oh yeah, that's right. He's gonna die and that, that, that sacrifice is, okay, I totally see this. Oh yeah, Passover. And I'm making all these connections. You are too, probably. And it seems like they just missed it. Behold the lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. How did you think a lamb was going to take away sins? It's gotta be death, right? Just missed it. Chapter two. Uh, you guys remember the, the very famous Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? I'm going to write one called, Mary, How Did You Not Know? 
Truly, how did you not know? Mary says to Jesus, we have a problem with some wine. Can you change that? Jesus then says, my hour has not yet come. In John's gospel, that's pointing to this hour. Chapter 18, the hour has now come. Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Mom, do you understand that when you ask me to do this, it will reveal who I am at some level and it will, it will cause a series of events that will bring about my death. Jesus then says to his disciples, tear this temple down after he cleansed it. Tear this temple down. This is John 2. Tear this temple down in three days. I'll raise it up again. Now, I get that. See, that one's a little more confusing. John editorially writes right there, uh, he was speaking about his body, but the disciples could not understand this until after he was resurrected. Like Jesus is, is saying rather clear things that they're not understanding. Nicodemus, chapter three. Nicodemus has this conversation with Jesus. He is somebody that really wants to know God, wants to know about God. He knows a lot. Jesus even says, how are you a teacher of Israel and you don't yet understand how the spirit works? How do you not know this? And Jesus begins to teach him. It is in this encounter that we get the great phrase, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. That's the story of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is hearing Jesus in this night. They're having this conversation. And Nicodemus is sensing something. He's getting something, but he's not fully aware of what is happening. When Nicodemus and his friend are dealing with Jesus' body after he had been killed, I bet you he still doesn't understand. John chapter 4. I promise I'm not going to go through all of them. But I want you to see this pattern. Because it might help you understand some of the obstacles, some of the barriers, some of the roadblocks that you have in understanding who Jesus Christ is and the implications of what that is on your life. Jesus meets a woman, a Samaritan woman. And Jesus is describing who he is. She's talking water, he's talking water. He's describing things that there's no way. I, I perceive that you are a prophet. She then wants to talk about worship. And she's saying, you know, you people believe that we need to worship in Jerusalem. My people say that we need to worship over here. And Jesus bypasses all of that and says, listen, I need you to understand that a day is coming. And in fact, that day has now come in which God, who is spirit, will be seeking and will be finding people who worship in spirit and in truth. And she gets this sense of who he is, but I promise she has no idea fully of who he is. And it just keeps unfolding like that. In John chapter 6, they gather around a meal. And he's holding up this bread and he's drinking this cup. And you think it's communion, but it's, he's not talking about communion. He's talking about himself. And I am the bread that came down from heaven. And if you don't eat on me, and the word there, if you remember from John 6, means to, to, to passionately devour. If you do not devour me, if you do not work to ingest me, if you don't deal with me, then you really won't understand anything. And Jesus keeps pointing at himself. and They're getting it, but they're not really getting it. They're understanding, but they're not really understanding. And maybe that's just who God is. Maybe that's just part and parcel of trying to understand who God is. There's just always more. Sure, 
But we get to chapter 18, and like even the closest don't get it. You can't tell me Judas got it. Judas didn't understand who he was. There's just no way. I mean, I'm sure he saw the miracles, and I'm sure he thought that he was some kind of a prophet. But somehow, to betray him? Again, I'm not trying to get totally inside of his mind, but I just don't know how Judas would think. I actually believe this is God in the flesh, and therefore I'm going to betray him. No, there's not enough money in the world. Something is disconnected, and Judas doesn't understand. Verse 1 says that after Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. Well, his disciples except for Judas, but Judas will meet him there. And there was a garden. Get it? You ever ever think about gardens in the Bible? They're important. At the end of Jesus' life, he goes to a garden. And John's going to make it very clear. He goes to a garden where Judas knows that he's going to go, and it's a place that he always wants to go, and Jesus is in a garden. I don't think we want to be surprised that when Jesus meets, after the resurrection, Mary, they're in a garden. Draws special attention. He's the only one. John draws special attention to that encounter in the garden. Because biblically speaking, garden is a place where it all began. And there was a temptation Temptation to not do things the way that God wanted, to not honor God, to not allow the words of God and the plan of God to have their way with Adam and Eve. And they decided we're doing something different. We're going to take an alternative course, an alternative path. And Adam and Eve deviated. And we've been following them ever since. And Jesus came to set it straight, to make it straight, to make it right. And Jesus is here in the garden with his disciples, and this is important. And John doesn't give this information, but I I think it's fair to say we can borrow from Matthew, Mark, and Luke here. And what is he praying? Take this cup from me. I don't know exactly what Jesus was talking about. I'm sure part of it was the death, the physical death that Jesus was going to endure. The torment, the mocking, the ridiculing, the pain, the physical pain that Jesus Christ will endure. I'm sure that's part of it. But he said cup. Cup in the Old Testament is literally describes the wrath of God being poured out. Like God's judgment comes not because um, people are just bad, but because they are in, in violent rebellion against him. Like the, the cup is used to punish sin. That's the kind of judgment. Jesus says, will you take this cup from me? It's not this cup. It's the cup that this cup fixes. The cup of wrath. And Jesus says, will you take this from me in the garden? And he's interrupted. Judas comes because he knew that's where he would be. Isn't it interesting? Jesus, in no way, shape, or form in John 18, is Jesus trying to avoid this evening. For this is the reason why he came. This is the reason why he said to his mother, my hour has not yet come, but it's coming. And when it comes, I will look at it straight in the face. Everybody, up until the end, misunderstood Jesus and they misunderstood his mission. Hey, Jesus, thanks for the bread. Hey, Jesus, thanks that I can walk. Hey, Jesus, thanks that you brought me back to life. 
I'm really grateful for all the things. It sounds like a lot of our prayers at Thanksgiving. What are you most thankful for? Just to live in this country? Hear me. It is no small thing. I just know of something that is so much more. This beautiful family that I have. Again, I'm not saying that my family is not a beautiful thing. But it looks anemic in light of the cross. The disciples couldn't see it. There's no way Judas saw it. Judas shows up with a company of soldiers and some officials from chief priests and the Pharisees, and they come there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus doesn't run and Jesus doesn't hide. His betrayer is here. Come, let us go. And Jesus meets them head on. And that's what I love about this encounter. Who are you looking for? And they say, and he says, I am he. And now they're not ready to deal with him. By the way, I still don't think they fully understand who he is. You can be amazed. You can be impressed. You can even be blessed by who Jesus Christ is and not have a full understanding of who he is. And everybody, lost, confused, partially understanding. Jesus, if you had just been here, our brother wouldn't have died. I mean, Jesus could literally say this wherever he went. You really don't understand who you're talking to. But that's true for you when you're praying as well, isn't it? It's true for me. By the way, I don't mean to have no idea at all. Do you have any idea who you're talking to? Do you have any idea of what you're about to eat and drink? And what I find so amazing is that in the midst of this story, with Judas not getting it, and then all of a sudden Super Peter shows up, right? Zorro with the sword. He cuts off Malchus's ear. Well, he gets it. No, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand this. This is Peter doing physically what he did verbally in Mark chapter 8. When Jesus said what was going to happen, and Peter's response was, no, not under my watch. No Messiah is going to die while I'm around. And those are his words to which Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And this is now Peter acting out what his words were rebuked for by Jesus. No. And it's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, I told you before, we're pacifists. We don't do this. It's not what he says. What does he say? Verse 11. Put your sword away. Am I not here to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Up until the end, nobody understood who he was. Jesus always understood who he was. Always understood who he was. Whether he was being tempted by Satan to have an alternative way to glorification. Yeah, I'm not doing that. When they come and want to make him king by force after he fed the 5,000, Jesus, yeah, I'm not doing that. Like everyone else who's trying to manipulate Jesus or use Jesus, yeah, I'm not doing that. Because he is so focused on accomplishing the will of his father, which is what? You know it. To send Jesus to die. Yeah, Judas, sorry, you can't stop that. 
in some amazing way, and only God's sovereignty, see this picture of Jesus, the sovereign Jesus, the sovereign God being lived out. Yeah, Judas, you can't stop God's plan. I doubt if he thought he was like doing a good thing. Yeah, Peter, <laughs> with the best of intentions, you can't stop this plan. Put your little Fisher-Price sword away. Right? Like you can't. Like I just love Jesus in, in these final chapters in John's gospel. He's just so him. Focused. Ready to die. Because that's why I came here. You do understand, like Jesus' teaching can't save anybody. Think about that for a moment. Jesus' teaching can't save you. A virgin birth cannot save you. Jesus, like Lazarus, raising you cannot save you. A thousand meals cannot save you. All of them made divinely by the hand of God cannot save you. But one thing can. Jesus Christ, the one who did not know sin, who became sin, so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. That's what his teaching leans into. That's what his miracles give a precursor to. That's where Jesus is going. And not Judas, and not Peter, and not Pilate can stop them. Which means that you and I are now here getting ready for Lent to enjoy these moments. Really? Like enjoy them? Yeah, enjoy them. I've said this for years. There's just no way that Jesus Christ did all that he was going to do. This, Am I not here to, to drink this cup, Peter? Like we're, we're doing this. There's no way he did all that for you and I to just feel sorry for him. No, that's more Peter in us. Or maybe our brokenness and you feel more like Judas. No, it's not about betrayal and it's not about just foolish excitement. It literally is about who Jesus is and what Jesus is Christ is going to accomplish for you. And by the way, your sin will not get in his way. For his grace is greater. Your ignorance will not get in his way. For the Holy Spirit will enlighten you. And with faith you will know more and more and more of who he is. Yeah, but I just, I want to know it all. <laughs> That's reserved for him. Fine, I want to know him better. Welcome to Lent. I want to know him better. I do too. And, and therefore, we look at this section with Jesus. And we see what Judas is doing, and we see what Peter is doing, but we are laser-focused on what Jesus is doing. Am I not to drink this cup? I don't know what they thought, but I don't know how you don't at least make some connection. And again, it's not the same cup, but it's the same event. 
And Jesus Christ is making it perfectly clear. I am here to accomplish the will of my Father. And the will of my Father is not that I'm a good teacher and it's not that I am really sympathetic and I'm willing to give a listening ear. It's about me taking on the sins of the world. And that is why I sometimes get a little pushback and I understand where it's coming from when I make this statement. I want you to understand that your sin is not a problem with God. What I don't mean by that is, is that your sin um, doesn't matter to him or he somehow just, like it's not a big deal to him. That's not what I'm describing. What I'm talking about is that it is not an obstacle so great that God doesn't know how to get around it. What I love about Lent, what I love about Easter, what I love about Jesus is he just looks at it and says, I can deal with this. Like I'm greater than this. He is greater than our sin. Do you understand that? He is greater than the multitude of all your sins. He is greater than the multitude of all our sins. And that is the kind of resolution that Jesus takes into this night. Am I not to drink this cup? I am. For you. And that is why you and I remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and then he gave pieces to his disciples and he said, like, I'm doing this for you. And Psalm 22 concludes, and future yous who will hear about me. And I want you to remember this. My body given for you. And we remember that right now. His body given for us. Let us take it and eat. And because Jesus endured the cup of wrath on the cross, we can share in the cup of redemption. Let us drink. It's okay if you don't know Jesus fully. It really is. I pray that you know him enough, for if not, you spend the rest of your life trying to know him. But for those of us that do know him, I pray that we will be able to sing these songs with joy and with excitement, celebrating the goodness of him, who for the joy set before him endured all the scorning and all of the shame, so that he would faithfully make a people for God. And when that people get together and they reflect on who Jesus is, they sing. Let us do that well right now, this morning, brothers and sisters. Stand with me.